Welcome to Mag's Mind. I'm your host, Zach Wiseman. Join us as we explore current trends in social impact, life, culture, and even purpose. In the meantime, we invite you to sit back, kick up those feet, and come sail away with us. Welcome to another edition of Mag's Mind. I'm your host, Zach Wiseman. Today, we're joined by Flip Brown. Flip is the founder of Business Culture Consultants and also a Mag member. For just about 20 years, he's worked with over 100 businesses and organizations to help them become more connected, more collaborative, and ultimately more successful, primarily looking through the lens of culture. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about current state of culture and what brands are doing, should be doing, and shouldn't be doing. Thanks for tuning in. And with that said, we'll get right to it. Hey, Flip. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Mag's Mind. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, it's uh, these are interesting times, but um, there's always an opportunity to get exercise and eat tomatoes from the garden and connect with people that you haven't connected with for a while. So I'm doing well. Great, great. Yeah, and you're we're, we're speaking, you're in Vermont and I'm in... Los Angeles. So we are covering covering both coasts right now. <laughs> That's right. That's great. Well, you have a big anniversary coming up this week that I'm excited to talk about um, and to help our listeners and the MAG community know a little bit more about. But a big congratulations is in order. You have a 20th business anniversary this Friday. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Uh, it, it amazes even me. And uh, 20 years ago, when I started Business Culture Consultants, and it's been a solo practice the whole time, I had a vague idea of what I thought I wanted to do. But of course, you start a business, and then it's kind of like raising a kid. You have some certain ideas, and then (laughs) hopefully you're both surprised and delighted in terms of how it unfolds in ways that could not be predicted. Yeah. Does it it make you feel, we might come back to this theme of, ages and generations, but does it make you feel better or worse that I was 14 when you started your business? <laughs> well, you know, my, my, uh, my only feeling about that is uh, I'm just sad about the music that you grew up with compared to me. So, you know. True, true. And that's also for our listeners, um, Flip. You're a bass player, is that correct? Yeah, bass, guitar, pedal steel, uh, vocals, but... Uh, yeah, I, I'm extremely wow. fortunate because like millions of kids, uh, I was 11 years old when the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show. And within a year, I had an electric guitar and I've been in and out of bands and playing music ever since. So that's um, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I know we get teased uh, as boomers about our dinosaur rock, but um, <laughs> they're, they're still playing it. Uh, so <laughs> I know it sticks. Yeah, no. And I. I yes, I think the ninety eighties nineties music that I grew up with most most maybe is a little bit garbage, <laughs> but now there's, I do there at least, some, yeah, mm-hmm. there were a few good a few good things happening then, but uh, yeah, maybe like the so Pearl anyway. Jam type. That's yeah, you know, uh, Paul Simon's Graceland was nineteen eighty six. That's a phenomenal mm-hmm. album. So you know, there were some good things happening. That's true, but as a 
as a millennial, I do. I am a Led Zeppelin, Queen, uh, yep. Beatles. Like I do try and go back a yep. few few decades to get a sense. But at any rate, well, congratulations. That's that's a this Friday being twenty years. That's a huge milestone. I think you should feel proud, and it's a testament, I think, to your work and the the impact that you've had to be even to even hit that goal. So on behalf of myself, yeah. Mag community, and everyone that's amazing accomplishment um well thank thank you zach having done culture for 20 years it it, you know and working with businesses on their culture and how they you know understand culture and grow and nurture culture and assess their culture internally it, it does feel like we're at this time you know especially as a country where our culture kind of feels like it's in the gutter <laughs> is that uh, how do you, ha- having been in this space for so long you know with coronavirus and politically and all the things going on do you find yourself are you do you feel like that's an accurate statement do you feel like we're it's just natural ebbs and flows or yeah help give us a sense of kind of where you feel culturally we are right now well i think that uh in the larger culture my hope is that we're having the conversations that we should have been having all along in terms of some of the ideals that we hold, particularly here in the United States, that we have for a long time, there's been a significant gap between who gets to experience the benefits of those ideals and who doesn't. Mm. And, and I think that as it relates to business culture, um, we more and more people in particular particularly people of your generation want to align with businesses and spend their dollars with companies whose values are authentic and millions billions of dollars are spent on advertising and social media to try to convince us as consumers that those values are authentic and um it's just interesting there's a whole spectrum between complete snake oil and complete authenticity mm-hmm. but i think mm-hmm. what is shifting is that we can't just take for granted that the slogans the you know the brand messaging and all that um, is actually what the company says it is people want more information they want more validation um you know, unless it's just a sheer commodity business, but um, there's been, yeah, there's been some real interesting success stories in, for example, in the midst of of the pandemic. So, mm-hmm. for example, think, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Just one example. Um, here, based in my hometown of Burlington, Vermont, Seventh Generation, which is one of the leading producers of um, environmentally friendly, non-toxic cleaners, um, uh, dioxin-free diapers. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. Love their products. Yeah. 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 In, uh, in the first and second quarter, they had a between 600 and 800% increase in sales. Woof. No wonder we can't get those wipes <laughs> right. anywhere. That's right. Yeah, and some wow. of that was the pandemic, and some of that was people wanting to support their mission and values. Mm-hmm. Did you? I, I think I came across a statistic 
couple of years ago that it was a Deloitte report that I think it was two thirds of millennials surveyed wanted to, you know, support businesses of all kinds with that had a social purpose, right? Yep. That even in those, you know, commodity items, they wanted to know, but you bring up a good point about how it it seems like maybe we're entering into a phase of, yeah, that legitimacy. It is easy to say you're doing one thing, um, but I know you're also part of a lot of communities like the the B Corp, B Lab communities. Yep. You know, have, have you felt or have you noticed this, that through technology, there is this increased visibility that then, like on the one hand, it's easier to say you're doing something whether mm-hmm. that's true or not. But then on the other hand, it's also easy, maybe easier more now than ever for consumers to kind of put your feet to the fire. Would you say that's like brands find themselves in that space? Like if you're doing, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the rapid growth of the certified B Corp movement, and for people that aren't familiar, it's a 200 data point assessment of your impact covering your uh, finance, your governance, your worker conditions, your community involvement, your commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and your environmental uh, impact. And um, it's a rigorous system that you get points, um, for example, if you use renewable energy versus non-renewable energy. Mm. And this, um, this system is now becoming more visible to consumers. You see the B in the circle and companies like Patagonia, Ben and Jerry's method. um, People are understanding that this is a reliable third party certification as opposed to other companies hiring a advertising and PR firm to convince us that they're doing well. Right. Well, you, it, it brings up an interesting point in our last podcast episode. You know, I, I it came up in terms of the the labeling a little bit, like a you know an organic label or you know some of the different like non GMO or uh, Rainforest Alliance. Like, do you think though? And, and the question I pose that I think is relevant here is like, does that still then? Does it put the burden on the consumer to make those decisions? Like in some ways we're labeling that you're doing good. Like, should we be labeling those that too bad or, you know, like, cause still the individual has to then seek out the B Corps or is that just part of, you know, voting with your wallet type normal consumer decisions? Well, I think it's interesting. I saw a statistic that currently the largest seller of organic produce uh, in the country is Walmart. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, they're not, in my opinion, so I don't know this as a fact, but I don't believe it's out of the their desire to be the world's leading socially responsible company. It's because right. they know that consumers will purchase organic produce <clears throat> and it generally carries a, a higher margin now there's a question of how much of that is returned to the farmers, but <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's interesting how people are voting with their wallets and how companies are responding to that. Right, right. That's a really good point. And do you, in terms of with things we've seen, really particularly in the last couple months, with uh, obviously COVID, with 
the Black Lives Matter movement and anti-racism movement, has that in some ways kind of, from your perspective, sped up some of the, you know, almost like internal assessment, you know, culture analysis of a lot of these organizations and businesses? Because that's something I've heard a lot is, you know, COVID and, and it has expedited a lot of challenges into a really short period of time that maybe due to climate change, we were kind of already headed down various paths. And then like, do you feel like these issues have caused companies to almost go through like this cultural, like the work you do assessment or evaluations, like in a really short period of time? Yeah. I mean, I think that if one of your values is um, having well-connected, functional and compassionate relationships, you certainly can do that over Zoom uh, or online. And there's something about the magic of uh, the presence of another human being being in the same space that we're missing. So I think both things are true. We have gotten innovative in terms of how to stay connected. And we've had to look at what is the nature of work? What does it mean to work remotely? What about the people who can't work remotely? It's brought up all these questions. Um, There are some people who want to never return to an office environment because working from home uh, allows them to experience other values that are important in their lives. Whereas uh, in a completely legitimate way, there are people who can't wait to get back to an office setting because uh, they want that ability to focus that maybe a home-based setting uh, doesn't provide. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's one piece. And then I think that the um, significant shift, particularly among many, but not all white Americans, about support for the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and companies who feel that they need to respond, um, the key determinant, in my opinion, is not whether or not they make public statements, is the question of whether or not they're willing to have the difficult conversations about their own internal biases and the institutional and structural racism that exists in, in many cases without ever having been noticed and examined and addressed. Mm-hmm. And I know you've done quite a bit of work in that space in, in multiple, it's taken shape in multiple different facets. So it's really interesting. I'm hearing you're saying, right. It's not necessarily the speed at which you put out a statement, but are you doing that heavy lifting, hard work, difficult conversations but there's something too about do you feel is it is an organization able to do that themselves or are are you just are you going to always have those blind spots that you don't see unless you bring in some outside help or seek some outside counsel or get different perspectives etc well i think it depends on the courage and the vulnerability of the leaders mm-hmm. um you know, Jay Cohen Gilbert, one of the co-founders of B-Lab, wrote an article that was uh, published in Forbes magazine. Uh, and, you know, B-Lab is one of the most progressive organizations. And his article was how I was contributing to institutional racism because mm-hmm. there 
he and the co-founders had grown up in a well-to-do suburb of Philadelphia. So that's where they uh, knew the community and they <clears throat> created an office there. And what was invisible to them is that the people of color who were commuting from the inner city of Philadelphia, spending an hour on the train each way and getting paid the same amount as the people who lived in the well-to-do village. Mm. And um, it just never occurred to them that that was part of, you know, the structural patterns that are just baked in. So they opened a satellite office in the city so people wouldn't have to spend an hour uh, each way away from their families. Uh, just, you know, one small example. Mm. And mm -hmm. so I think that it's about the ability to understand the patterns of communication, interaction, behavior that aid or constrain your commitments to equity, diversity, inclusion, and justice. And none of us uh, are free of filters and biases. None of us have this all figured out. And so we're going through a period of going through uncomfortable in order to hopefully get to more comfortable, but in a more, uh, again, realistic and um, fully genuine way. Mm -hmm. Do you do you think that brands should take a stand? I mean, it just like, do you feel, I want to word that question in the right way, it, you know, is it should brands or is it their responsibility? You know, you've heard, obviously, with all that's been going on the last couple of years, like arguments both ways, you know, that yes, brands should, no, it's not their place, like you're just selling a widget, whatever the case may be, like if, and if the answer is yes, they should, or have you been encouraged by kind of what you've seen? Or do you think we really have a, a much further way to go? Well, I think it's interesting um, to even look at the fundamental definition of a brand. And um, one mentor, um, Janelle Barlow, I attended one of her workshops and her statement, which I've never forgotten, is that a brand is the promise of a consistent, positive emotional experience. Mm, say so, that again. Uh, yeah, say that one more time. Yeah. A brand is the promise of a consistent, positive emotional experience. Well, that's great. That's really good. So if you like hot, inexpensive, fast food, then generally speaking, McDonald's will deliver that. <laughs> Right, if right. you're interested in uh, farm to table, if you're interested in nutritional quality, um, Burger and, King. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and 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 you would prefer not to be waited on by surly teenagers, <laughs> then <laughs> maybe McDonald's is not your first choice, or maybe maybe McDonald's doesn't provide a consistent positive emotional experience. So you know, for example, as a musician, virtually any Fender guitar that I pick up, I'm going to have a positive experience. So I'm a big fan of the brand. And so to get back to the earlier point, if your customers experienced you as already having a commitment to taking a stand, to um, being um, willing to have uncomfortable discussions as already being committed to a diverse and inclusive workforce, then a statement about Black Lives Matters or racial justice 
is going to naturally flow from the culture. But when you put a sign in the window or you put, um, you know, something on your website and then you go to the glass door site and people who work there say, well, you know what? We don't walk our talk here. And that's, you know, a significant number of reports. Then it's just, it's just marketing. It's a veneer. It's, it's, it doesn't have any depth to it. Mm. That's a really interesting point, right? And that's a good, well, you actually, the, the Fender example brings something to my mind that, I don't know, I've sort of struggled with or maybe struggles on the right word, encountered or thought about too is like, let's say, for example, you know, I'm a big fan of a, a company called Bellroy, right? And my mm-hmm. friends joke, it's like an Australian, you know, they're B Corp certified, Leather. Yeah, they make wallets, right? Exactly. Yeah, wallets, backpacks, etc. Yep. Well, you know what happens if you know two weeks from now or a month from now, Bellroy comes out and says, like, I, I don't want to get political, but like, I'm pretty liberal. Let's say they came out and like we back Trump for re-election. Now, that's taking a stand and having a presence, but then I don't that sort of creates conflict for me, like their culture goes against or sort of the values they're saying we stand for go against mine. So then I guess it ultimately comes down to choices. And I guess I have to say, am I willing as a consumer to continue to support that business? And I guess I'm obviously thinking out loud, but I guess that we, we as consumers now rather have that transparency. Like I rather know that so that I can make the proper informed decisions Mm -hmm. that, you know, I I guess the challenge becomes, yeah, if you feel your values aligned with a particular brand and then it's not like, I I think it's obvious to point out like uh, the NFL and like a lot of conservatives in the country. Right. I think some people have felt that tension probably against, you know, the kneeling at the anthem and it's like conflicting for them in some sense. And do I agree with that? No, but it's there. And yeah, I don't know how to, how do consumers kind of navigate the choices that brands are making, or I don't know if anything jumps out in your mind. Well, it's interesting because um, I have, you know, 82% of American households do business with Amazon. Wow. Uh, Wow. My wife, my wife and I are in the 18% who don't. Um, Good for you. <laughs> well, and it's it's not because I think that they are the evil empire. I think that their business model is not in alignment with my values, um, mm-hmm. both in terms of supporting local economies, number one, and number two, in terms of um, wealth inequality. I also mm-hmm. do not um, have any... Uh, interaction or posting with Facebook because yeah, I deleted my account too as a millennial, <laughs> you know, again, I mean, they're both Amazon and Facebook are wildly successful. The problem is there are a lot of impacts that both of those business models have that the average consumer is shielded from. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's about, uh, it's a combination I think of, of transparency in terms of what you're doing. And then um, do you have a social mission as a company? Um, 
and I have been in that community for 20 years in terms of, you know, our local guys here and uh, previous clients of mine, Ben and Jerry's, you know, they actually are not selling health food. Um, <laughs> eat too much Ben and Jerry's like Ben did, and you will need a quadruple bypass. Uh, <laughs> right, right. No matter how socially conscious the company is, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's about as good as ice cream gets, in my opinion. And every time I um, buy a cone or a pint, which isn't that often because of my uh, commitment to my own health, I know that a certain percentage of my money is going to support um, activism, not just um, mm-hmm. you know positions, but they actually fund groups who are working towards um, economic and um, racial justice and supporting family farms, which is right. important here in Vermont, as well as uh, supporting their employees with um, more than a livable wage. So, you know, that's why a pint of Ben and Jerry's will cost you five or six bucks. Um, and you can buy the half gallon of the house brand, you know, for less than that. But um, if you can afford it, then you can vote with your dollars. Right. That's an, that's a good addition, right? If you can afford it, if you can afford organic right. or if you, right, right. If you can afford a, a more, maybe more premium brand that, Right, does like Delroy, right? Doesn't you can buy a wallet for five dollars? How it's right. made? Sure. Do you want to buy one of Belroy's a hundred dollar wallets that's sustainably made and gives fair wages? Well, yep. that dramatically shifts who can buy that. You you yep. made me think, Flip, when you when you mentioned Facebook and Amazon, and and we don't have to go obviously too far down the tech rabbit hole, but you made me think of this question: How do you? how does an organization get beyond a culture of profit? Maybe I'm not, I'm just made up that question in that sense. But like, to me, it seems like, uh, I mean, sure, businesses, many, their sole purpose is to make a profit or you IPO and you go public and then you have shareholders that you have to answer in quarterly reports. But I, especially when I look at what's happening kind of in the tech world, it seems like so much is just purely profit driven at some point that yep. it's it's corrupting the culture in some sense or there's like these two competing head things that are butting heads right it's like on the one hand you're taking the stand and saying hey we're amazon and what did they do they named the uh climate change arena in portland right or they committed to climate change but like but they're a profit money-making machine on the other hand. And same with like Facebook and Google now with advertisements, et cetera. Like, is it possible to like build a culture that goes beyond profit? I mean, I know it is, but I'd love to hear your, your experience with that. Well, I think that one of the most destructive forces in our society right now is what's called shareholder primacy. And Hmm. so Here we are with um, deep, deep um, unemployment. We have people who are at risk of losing their homes um, from as either a renter or um, defaulting on their mortgage. We have people um, losing their health care when they lose their jobs. There is a whole lot of pain going on, and the United States stock market is at record levels. Right, right. And, and something's and so, off, right? <laughs> yeah, and so 
you know, there was a situation a number of years ago where Costco gave its employees a significant raise. Walmart did not. Walmart stock goes up, Costco stock goes down. Because the only thing that matters on Wall Street is short-term profits. The only thing. And as long as that is a driving force in our economic system, then it basically translates into what I would call um, you know, institutionalized greed. Because there are a whole lot of people making a whole lot of money um, in all these various you know, instruments and hedge funds and things that actually, in my opinion, don't contribute to the well-being of society. Sure, absolutely. They have learned how to create a game within the system where they get rewarded at the expense of others. So 30, I believe 36 states have passed enabling legislation to create a benefit corporation, which is a uh, form like an S-Corp, C-Corp, or LLC, where if your social mission is baked into your governance, then you cannot be successfully sued for not maximizing shareholder value. Because if you are a publicly traded company, and this is what happened with Ben and Jerry's, they put the company up for sale, a group of their friends scraped up the asking price, wanted to buy it, Unilever, a big multinational, said, well, we can put a lot more money on the table. Uh, Ben and Jerry said, we don't want to sell Unilever, we want to sell to our friends. And the lawyer said, sorry, you have enough institutional investors that they will successfully sue you for not maximizing shareholder value. And so they were forced wow. to sell to, to Unilever. Now, the marriage worked out far better than any of us imagined because Unilever actually wants to be the first multinational um, certified B Corp, and they're well on their way. And they fully supported the Ben and Jerry social mission. But that's a rare example. So, um, as long as we continue to reward profit above all else, which then enters into the government system because that fuels the lobbying industry and industries wanting to, um, you know, there was a story in NPR a few years ago where General Electric, with I don't know how many billions in sales, um, had 975 tax accountants and lawyers on their payroll, which they could fully deduct, so that that year they paid zero in tax. Right. Yeah. That's and, crazy. And, yeah. And so how does that benefit the overall well-being of our society? It doesn't, in my opinion. So the if you have to make... You have to have robust financial sustainability or you can't do good things. But it's when uh, people enrich themselves and get, you know, all these stories of, well, the CEO screwed up. Well, the CEO made a huge mistake. Well, the board has parted ways with the CEO. Oh, by the way, he got a uh, $63 million. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) And like my wife says, I want a job where I screw up and I get paid millions to leave. Right. Oh, I think, uh, you know, I'm in Dallas or live in Dallas and, you know, AT&T being based there. Randall Stevenson, the you have to call him the chairman. He just left and, and his severance is $230,000 a month for the rest of his life. Right. Right. That's absurd. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. And so this is this also, it's not, you know, out of the... Um, 
I don't have the exact numbers, but what are the numbers of the Fortune 500 who are women, and what are the numbers in the Fortune 500 CEOs who are black? It's in the single digits. Right. So, again, this is where we have a whole system that is now, I think at least, we're having conversations that are different than five or 10 or 20 years ago. And it's messy uh, and it's unpredictable, but, and it, the jury's out in terms of whether this will create lasting change, but we do live in interesting times. Absolutely. Do you think, Flip, one, uh, a couple more questions, and I know where we, I could talk to you about this for literally days, <laughs> but <laughs> do you, do you think for the app, when you think about the average consumer or also, you know, on your work, in your work on the business side, when they think about their customer and the consumer, do you think it's, it, it does, it feels this tension of like, in some ways it feels easier than ever to make those informed decisions. And then other times it feels burdensome, you know, it's almost like a double-edged sword a little bit with the technology and the transparency, right? Like sometimes I wish you know, there were two types of ice cream to pick from, the good guys and the bad guys. And I mm-hmm. could just pick the good guys. But now there's 87 different types of ice cream. Or, you know, you see that a little bit with technology, right? Like to kudos to you for being off of Amazon and off of Facebook. But, you know, for some, we're all, when we talk about culture, we're also quote unquote busy. You know, how do you carve out that time to make those decisions? Or, has technology kind of over these these 20 years for you, has it made it easier in some sense and harder in others? That's kind of what it feels like as just speaking as a general consumer or somebody who wants to make conscious decisions. Yep. Yep. Well, I think that it is, it's an interesting, I'll call it a yin yang uh, situation where, you know, the internet provides us with connections to people around the globe. I mean, I've been amazed at the conversations I've had since the pandemic with people that I would have never encountered otherwise mm. through um, online, you know, forums and, and community gatherings. Um, there's also an incredible amount of accurate information that can be found. And I don't know anyone who is... Um, a normal user of the internet who hasn't wasted hours, um, (laughs) you know, going down rabbit holes or trying to find something or trying to figure out, is this accurate? Um, is this reliable? So I think that, I think that, um, technology is, is both, uh, a useful resource and it's also, um, at risk of, um, sort of overriding our basic human experience and instincts. So, um, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. you know, if it doesn't look right or feel right or, um, you know, it's, there's no, I, I'm not aware of a place where you can go and say, okay, I found this on the internet. Can you <laughs> tell me whether or not it's actually, or what percentage of this is, is true? Right. Um, right. Is this accurate? Is this correct? Is who's- yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, and, you know, in the ancient days when you would look something up in a dictionary or an encyclopedia, you know, we now realize that those things were not as accurate um, given their biases um, and sort of historical slants. However, 
it was it was generally one source that people did did agree that if you know you went to the Oxford English Dictionary, we were all going to agree that that was a standard. And so right. Right. now there's you know there's greenwashing. Um, all of the major oil companies will tell you the incredible things they're doing on alternative energy while they continue mm. to, you know, promote fossil fuels. Um, so it's, it is challenging. And I think that the important thing too is that there's no perfect company. There's no perfect, um, you know, human being. And so it's, it's, to me, it's a question of, how do you reasonably and affordably put your values into practice as a consumer? Right. Because right. If, if you actually don't care, if you don't care about the environment, if you don't care about the sourcing of your food, if you don't care about sweatshop labor, then none of those factors will enter in. You'll just buy the cheapest stuff. But I do know people who are on limited incomes who still have a sense of responsibility and diligence, and they make um, choices and sometimes sacrifices. You know, I don't buy 100% organic food. Um, right, right. And, 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 you know, I conceivably could, but it's just not something that rises to that level of commitment, to be perfectly honest. Right. Now, I I grow vegetables during the summer and um, I support my local co-op, but I also go to the chain store. So, you know, I, I think that it's, it's about what are the stories that the companies are telling us? How, how do we respond to those stories? Um, and again, how do we look at making the choices that are going to feel like, at the end of the day, if we're interested in making a difference, it's making some small difference. Right, right. That's a really good point. And you made me think I had a conversation a couple of years ago with someone who worked in, again, McDonald's's sustainability department. And, you know, to contrast, right, the role of the businesses, they said, look, like a lot of people who cannot afford an $8 Starbucks or $8, you know, latte they come to us for the dollar cup of coffee now mcdonald's felt like you know well what is our role to keep that price that affordable because we have a consumer who is almost at times dependent on it but how do we make the healthiest most ethically sourced one dollar cup of coffee is yep. that possible so i thought right. that was kind of interesting i think that kind of to your point shows there has to be a balancing act, right? There is responsibility on the consumer side, but there's also a lot of responsibility, obviously, on the brand side. To say, okay, how uh, how do we look at what we value, what we're maybe intentionally, unintentionally doing, um, and uncover things, and have that assessment, like you said, to say where can we help and play our role as well. Um, I know, yeah. Flip. We just have a few more minutes. Um, Again, congratulations again on, on 20 years. That's an amazing milestone. Is there, when you look back at those 20 years from a cultural perspective, not to put you on the spot, but <laughs> can you offer some, some hope? Are we, <laughs> we going to be okay? <laughs> Are we? Well, I, I think that, 
one of the benefits of being involved with the businesses and the uh, communities, business communities I'm involved in is there's cool stuff happening all the time. Um, there's innovation, there's best practices that just don't make the, the standard media outlets. Mm. And so, you know, for example, there's now a movement to go beyond organic certification into what's called regenerative organic because right. the organic certification says you can take a field that's certified organic and you can basically strip mine it of, of you know, plant it and uh, with monocrop, bring in people who are not paid livable wage and, and, you know, ship cases of organic produce across the country. And then the soils depleted, you move on, and the people had right. no health insurance who picked the... So there's... Still not there's, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff that's happening, um, but you have to go looking for it because... Um, Particularly, I, I, I have a s strong faith in people, I'll say under 40, who want a better world, a better planet, better sense of community, and they're doing amazing things. It's just not going to make the evening news. Right. That's, no, that's a, that's a really good reminder um, and some really helpful perspective. And yeah, I, I think, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation. I think we could been some great pearls of wisdom there and I, a lot for us to everybody to think on and reflect and so i can't thank you enough flip for the time and looking forward to following up soon great well i've enjoyed our conversation okay thanks flip all right take care thanks so much for joining us on another episode of mag's mind we hope you found that conversation interesting for more information about MAG and how you can get involved, visit magcollective.com. And for more information on Flip Brown's work, please visit businesscultureconsultants.com. Businesscultureconsultants.com. Thanks, and until next time.